Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah the prophet in the year 597 BC is speaking to the exiles stuck in Babylon. He's telling them to build, to multiply, to ignore false prophets, and to keep their hope alive. I pray something is offered to you today from the word, from the Lord, that stabilizes your situation, stimulates your courage, challenges you and your belief system, not in the challenge in the sense of something that's like a provoking, but something that stirs you to action. So you can rise up and hit the mark and fulfill the destiny that's on your life. The hand of the Lord is on you. Jesus loves you. Jesus lavishes his Holy Spirit on you. He has presented his word to you. It documents his perfect will. And heaven and earth will pass away. It'll roll up like a scroll, one description describes it. Be a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be burned with a fervent heat. But he says, behold, I make all things new. One time they asked Daniel Boone, have you ever been lost in the wilderness? He said, he thought for a moment and he replied, no, but I was once bewildered for about three days. I like his attitude. And I like it actually that our church is planted in Boone country. He was in, he was in Boonesboro, Kentucky at 60 years old. He packed up and moved up here because he got bored with homesteading and he wanted to keep his pioneer spirit up. So he came here and through that was motivated to continue to grow, to continue to move forward, to, to continue to change. This will help us get unstuck. This will help us to, that feel seized to get our motors going again. In fact, let's pray. Father, I'm asking you to do something great in the lives of the people here today. I pray Jesus would be exalted. I pray you'd be with my mouth and help me to do a good job. Open doors that no man can shut. Increase the awareness of the favor that surrounds us as a shield. We're highly favored of the Lord. We know Mary was highly favored of the Lord. Daniel was highly favored of the Lord. Paul, Peter, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor. But as it goes with the head of the church, so it goes with the body of Christ. And that's us. Say, that's me. We are growing and increasing and opportunities are opening and favor surrounds us and grace is encompassing us and mercy is there every morning. Hallelujah. Who is glad for that? Sorrow may have lasted for the evening, but joy comes in the morning. So here's the word of the Lord. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. So the rules for Bible interpretation are four questions. One, who is speaking these words? That's Isaiah, the prophet. To whom are they spoken? Being spoken to the exiles that are stuck in Babylon, ancient Israel. And um, for what purpose are they spoken? They're spoken to tell them to build and keep being productive, to multiply, to keep cranking out babies. I lose babies in here in Jesus' name. Ignore false prophets and keep your hope alive. Say, keep your hope alive. So under what period was this? This was 597 B.C. So what do we do with this? What are we as New Testament people to do with this? Look at it as a moment in history. Look at it in the case of these particular people. Look at it in its context, but realize 
This is a blanket statement. This, in fact, is reloaded and re-upped and refreshed over and over and over again in all the seasons and all the eras and all the decades. He's faithful to a thousand generations. And it says in Romans, the 15th chapter in the fourth verse, that these things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Keep your hope alive. Everybody say hope. hope. Say, I am hopeful. hopeful. Don't be cynical about it. Start to embrace it. I'm going to tell you what it is not. It's not overstimuli. It's not a pipe dream. It's not baseless optimism. I'll tell you what it is, though. It's expectation in the faithfulness of God. It's reliance on his promise, his nature, his character. He's assuring these people at 597 BC in a Babylonian captivity. Let me tell you what Babylon is. There's a literal Babylon that happened around Daniel's time, and this time was terrible. They took the believers, the followers of Jehovah, and they changed their names. They stripped them of their names. They stripped them of their their culture, they stripped them even of their diet and their, their clothing and, and, and everything. And, they, and they, put, they put their imposition on them. And yet they were in the world, but they were not of the world. Very similar to the early church. They're there, but their citizenship is in heaven. And God did not call us out of the world. He, did, he called us in the sense to separate ourselves, come out from among them and be separate in terms of not being tainted by it, but then he's in, or conformed to it. But he's called us to go in it Bearing light, bearing precious seed, bearing the word of God, bearing the gospel, praying powerful prayers, believing God for his dream to come to pass. And in a very real sense, the Lord has delegated authority to his church, the authority of the name of Jesus, the power of his blood, the proficiency of his word, for us to advance the cause of Jesus as ambassadors for Christ. And therefore, we've got to get a grasp on 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three abide Faith, hope, and love. Heaven right now, with our loved ones there, has an anticipation of additional things that are coming to pass in the prophetic calendar. They're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Hebrews 12 says we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. In the grandstands of heaven, the same Greek word for in that context is that it talks about those big, giant, Colosseums, and then the big nosebleed way up high in the nosebleed seats. There's a cloud of witnesses up there in the nosebleed seats cheering us on in the grandstands of heaven. I don't have a full, it's mysterious, I don't have a full detail on it, but I do know that they are looking for our obedience because our obedience, according to Hebrews 11, the last verse, they're connected with what we're doing in our particular season. So we must take a stand and resist the life-numbing effects of discouragement. Verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Some of you feel out of place, out of sync, out of time. The Lord's going to bring calibration, clarification. He's going to get you where you need to be, when you need to be there. You can trust God. I said, you can trust God. Look what it says in verse 11. Let's read this out loud. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future. 
Oh. Zechariah called the people of God prisoners of hope. This is our bias, actually. We're to be, as one of the characteristics of our existence, hopeful. Hope deferred, it says in Proverbs 13, 12, makes the heart sick. I've seen it. I'm so aware of it. Everywhere I go, because I have a, I have a Christian bias in my thinking. I see things through the eyes of redemption. I see things through the possibilities of salvation. So when I, I see people, I feel like, man, just one little nudge in the right direction, and they could have their whole outcome change. You know, one little bump of gospel in a person's heart, one seed can plant, germinate, grow, and sprout and create a whole new mindset, a whole new eternal destiny, better yet. And so Jeremiah is not scolding the people. He's not belittling the people. He's saying, lift up your eyes, even in the midst of Babylon, even in the midst of protracted challenge, even in a blasé period, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me. This stimulates prayer. You know, you're attracted to God when you know he has a plan for you. In fact, he says, I'll listen to you. And you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God loves seeking. God loves seekers. So much so that Jesus even said to one guy, you're not far from the kingdom of God. The greatest commendation to a non-believer was to Cornelius. He said, your alms and your prayers are a, a memorial to God. And he wasn't even a Christian. And he said that he was a, the, God honored him. And God worked it out where he, let, he was the first Gentile to come into the kingdom. Hallelujah. There's hope for everybody. There's hope for everybody. People go, oh, that's a hopeless cause. I don't think in our setting we should ever accept that. We are prisoners of hope. We have hope for a favorable outcome. We anticipate things not with dread. Is the other shoe going to fall? We lift up our eyes and say, hallelujah. Winston Churchill told war-ravaged England that the pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, but that the optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And I think about Numbers chapter 13, where Moses sent the spies to the promised land to go spy it out before they were anticipating going to take it. And 12 spies went out, 10 came back with a bad, evil report. Two came back with a good report. The evil report, difference between the evil report and the good report was this. The 10 spies saw that the people were great, that the cities were fortified, and that the walls were thick around Jericho and so forth. The two guys that came back with a good report said, yeah, uh, I saw that too. These guys said, here's the fruit. Here, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back grapes and they brought back pomegranates and indications of how fertile and beautiful and, and uh, capable of uh, sustaining life it would be, just as God foretold, just as Moses had prophesied. But then they came back and said, nevertheless, the people are too big and the giants are there and all this kind of stuff. Joshua and Caleb were not in denial. They saw the giants. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the people. They said, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, nevertheless, we shall by all means possess the land. 
Be that prophet in your household, over your kids, over your finances, over your job, over your marriage. Nevertheless, we shall by all means possess the land. Be that stabilizer in this season of your life, in your prayer time, when you're standing for your loved ones that are out there, and that God will send laborers to cross their path. He'll send laborers to cross the path of your loved ones. You're not going, no, there are no giants. No, the people, it's all easy breezy. No, it's a battle. It's a fight of faith. We go through stuff, right? And that's the substance of the message. That's the beauty of it. It's not pretentious. This isn't some sort of hype. This isn't some sort of mind game we're putting out, like we're all just a bunch of glazed people that just real jolly. I mean, that's cultic. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or take courage. He said, I have overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And see, the thing about faith, faith is finding what God promises in the scripture. But what motivates me about building my faith is my hope. Faith is the substance of the things I hope for. Like I hoped I wouldn't go to hell. And I looked and the guy told me that Jesus died to save sinners like me. And I was on a grease pole going to hell. I was so lost. I was so lost. And where I was raised and the atmosphere and the, I mean, it was crazy. It was as crazy then as it is now. But it was as even crazy in 597 BC in Babylon as it was in 60s America or in 2019 America. Hear the word of the Lord, okay? It is what it is. And yet, this is why God's holding the believers responsible to do something in faith and hope and love. Right? And that's why it's imperative that we get our, our hope reservoir filled back up with confidence, with, as the definition is here, reliant trust, to hold to a desire with expectation. I know people that get this in their spirit and they go for the long haul. They see life in a big spectrum. They see that, in fact, it's a progressive journey. We go forth from glory to glory and from faith to faith. Dare we believe that? Dare we let ourselves be stimulated in that direction? I think so. And I do derive encouragement wherever I can find it that's where it's godly. For example, for Daniel Boone and Boone's Crossing and all that kind of stuff, it means something to me because it demonstrates the possibility of learning something new in an advancing season and of not just reveling in some moment of a re reception in junior varsity in your high school 300 years ago. And that was the glory days and all that stuff. No, no, no. We go forward. We forget those things which lie behind. We reach forward to what lies ahead. We press on. And the old saying, there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Brighten up your life with this verse. Romans 15, verse 13. Let's read this out loud. Can we do it? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's marinate in this. I, all these recipes say, put it in a Ziploc and let it marinate for two hours. When I read that, I think 24 hours. I'm all about marinade. I think it ought to go to the bone. 
particularly chicken. Chicken's pretty boring. But you marinate that stuff, it can become delicious. I'm at the point where I'm hungry, so I'm doing uh, food, food metaphors now. And I know I have just a moment now, because now you're stimulated, you're already thinking, uh, this is a great message, but where should we go to lunch? Okay, so anyway, but I want believers in this church to ponder the depth of what I'm trying to say here. He said, God, said to the, God said to ancient Israel in 597 B.C., in the midst of terrible oppression, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Keep building, multiply, don't listen to false prophets, and keep your hopes alive. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So many discouraged, so many disappointed, so many sad situations in the world. But it must not be said of us. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and we say so. Not in a hyper-stimulus, not in a bunch of yelling and shouting for yelling and shouting's sake, but yet we shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Sometimes it's in a whisper. Sometimes it's even just in a meditation. It's like, having done all to stand, I stand. I face this, this giant with the certainty that my God will see me through. I face this mountain with the idea that there's something so beautiful and beneficial on the other side of this mountain that I'm going to command it to be removed. And in terms of our service to others, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's interesting because the Bible says in another verse, John 7, that when you're a believer in him, as the scripture says, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking in reference to the Holy Spirit. And I love the marriage of that idea to this idea in Romans. Now, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by human power, not by your personality. I know people in our church who are quiet, logical, and cerebral, and they've been very powerful in sharing the love of God in the context of their personality. I know buoyant, verbal, joyous type people, and they, they share. I mean, it, it's not just sectioned off to a certain personality type. It it's not by might or by power. It's by his spirit. That's why God's using churches of all different denominations and flavors because it's Jesus, the head of the church. The word of God is the substance. It's the message of salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus. And it's going to shine and it's going to relate to somebody somewhere sometime. And we'll do the best of who we are. People do the best of who they are. And we support it. We lift it up and we believe God for a hearty result. Let's go to 1 Peter 3.15 in the New American. We are to set Jesus apart in our hearts as Lord. Another way to put this, if this was in a business journal and a business consultant guru was coaching people to improve their abilities in their job, they would say prioritize. Look at this again. It says prioritize. Make Jesus number one in your thoughts, your decisions, your heart passions, your focus, keep him always center. I remember a gospel track from the Campus Crusade for Christ had a little drawing and it showed a throne symbolizing a life. And it showed what happens when a human ego and self-centeredness steps off the throne and asks Jesus to come in and take residency there. 
and he says, sanctify. And he's talking to Christians. Peter's saying, hey, keep Jesus number one in your life. That's why a church service like this will help because we're all thinking on the same lines. We're singing the same songs. We're in the same page. We're right. We need, we need to learn how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I'm a big believer in assembly. I'm a big believer in connecting because one could chase a thousand and two could put 10,000 to flight. This is where we feed off of what we really believe. It's where we get our faith stirred. You can have that in your personal life. You can have that in your prayer life. But some of you guys are in such a weird battle, such alarming symptoms, so many things spoken over you. It's like, man, what do I do? Get your head in the book. Get your heart connected with this. And, but not only for us. Look what it says here. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, look at this, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that last part is interesting. In our witness, we're to not be obnoxious. We can learn to share Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way. It tells us in, in the scriptures, uh, wives living with unbelieving husbands, we can, you can win them without a word. It's a finesse thing. God wants us to be interesting in this world. Have you ever described something like, well, that was interesting? I don't mean it that way. I mean really genuinely interesting. <laughs> Paul said, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I think we're to lead such engaging lives. Another way I would word that in modern vernacular is this. Let's look at the part of that verse again. That everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. What that's saying is, why do you show up at work with a good attitude? Why is it that when we're gossiping in the lunchroom, you drop out of the conversation? You're polite, you're not judgmental, but I notice you never talk about other people behind their back. Why do you uh, when they ask us to work overtime, do you do it without whining? You know, this actually happened to me before I got married when I was in college working at a store. We're opening up a new store. It was snowing, and we, we didn't get everything, all the results we thought we would. The manager came in and called all this new band of people together, and he said, listen, we're going to have to work tomorrow. I think it was a Sunday. He said, you're going to get time and a half, but, and the people went, oh. He said, it's going to be snowing. It's going to be cold. And I wasn't trying to be self-righteous or be uh, Ned Flanders. But I, 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 you know, I just learned, hey, do your work hard. What triggered to me was do your work heartily unto the Lord. And you're a witness. So be a good witness. So I just kind of shut up. It was noticeable to the boss. He said, I want to know why you didn't complain like everybody else. And he didn't know. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. And I know that this is my... I'm, this is my work, and it's to be under the Lord, so I, and I'm to do all things without murmuring and complaining. So later on, about two weeks later, he said, uh, hey, Perry, I want you to come with me. I have to take the, the income from today to the bank, and I need, for accountability, I need somebody with me, so I want you to come with me. I thought, I'm building bicycles in the, in the you know, how... I'm not in the financial department, but I thought, okay, so I got, he had this, these bags with locks on them, and he was being real official and thorough and signed everything and all that. We got in the car. He said to me, so you say you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah. Then you mind uh, explaining to me why my 24-year-old wife died? See, where to respond? He said, what, 
always giving account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I learned then I couldn't come up with cliches. I couldn't try to condemn him for doubting God or being hurt. I just shut up and listened. And you know, something really amazing happened there because I abound in hope. I didn't have all the answers for him, but I knew who the answer was. And it didn't need to be couched in a bunch of cliches, and it needed to be gentle and reverent. By reverent, it's like, I respect you as my boss, but I respect you as someone asking this question. Instead of going, well, let me tell you. whatever. I've been in situations with people who know everything and move on. I've never met anybody that really knows everything. So the people that act like they know everything, if you don't change after a while, just go somewhere else and just putrefy alone because that's weird. (laughs) That's called obnoxious, and it's in no way consistent with who Jesus is. But I'll tell you what is. He's near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And Jesus always has a faith, hope, and love quotient. And so do we. And we carry it. And it crucifies our cynicism. It upswings the flatlining that tries to numb us. It gives us our edge back. And I think about this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts so that we can always be ready with an answer for the questions as to why you're the way you are. What makes you tick? How did you go through the ridiculous battles you faced? How did you land on your feet? It's not human determinism. We're not cats. We just, you know, they just, we just land on our little paws. No, it's the resurrection power of Jesus. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's so much spiritual heart disease, having no hope and without God in the world. So, now may the God of hope fill you. This is what I'm praying. This is the practical application of this message. This is where I'm moving from theoretical overphrasing to personal application. Keep your hope alive. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I'm a believer. And when I start to slip, I have to go back and remind myself of what my belief system is. It's based on God who is faithful to a thousand generations. It's based on the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, which is forever settled in heaven, which is All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped, adequate, fully equipped for every deed. There are, I will finish with this. This is the application. Get it in your spirit. Crowd out unbelief, doubt, uh, discouragement. Defy it. Take personal issue with it. It threatens your momentum and your destiny. Keep pressing on. Lift up your eyes, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him, he had a hopeful expectation, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. That's Jesus. Get some joy set before you. Oh, Pastor Jeff, you're just trying to get me all encouraged. I will not apologize for that. I will not apologize for that. Because the Bible says to consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Hope is the anchor for our souls. Hebrews 6, it's an anchor. It'll hold you, man, when all the winds are blown. And all the, it held us when the stupid flood hit and filled this building up with mud and nasty water. 
It caused us to think differently and overcome. When we were victims, God helped us to remind to be reminded that we were victorious in the midst of the situation. And whatever overwhelming deal you're facing, whatever heartbreak, whatever sadness, whatever deal, God is so good. He has an answer for it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. A lot of times they quote the first part of that. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. But it's according to the power that works in us. Let's all stand up on our feet. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, be hopeful. Keep your hopes alive. I'm telling you to have a spiritual resolve for a lifetime. Keep your hopes alive. People get attracted to honey better than vinegar. And let me just tell you, good news puts spiritual lean fiber on your muscles. Good news makes you strong to win the battles in life. On his 85th birthday, Caleb said at this mountain, he said, would you please give me this mountain, a Hebron where the giants are? He said, I'm 85, but when I was 40 years old, Moses gave us a word at Kadesh Barnea that we would possess the land. Here's what he said. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. I got a hold of this when I was a kid. And I thought, okay, man, this will sustain you through the course of a longevity. <laughs>